Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the IFA podcast series. Uh, this is our first uh, podcast in 2022. And today we're going to talk about how we can use fertilizers to hopefully one day eradicate hidden hunger. We'll soon learn what this is and uh, what specifically we can do about this. And we'll also hear uh, a number of examples, hopefully, from the two fantastic uh, guests that we have here today joining us. So first, let me introduce them very quickly. Our first uh, guest is uh, Professor Ismail Kakmak from Sabanci University in Turkey, who is a well-known plant nutrition scientist and has done a lot of work uh, on zinc and other nutrients, um, and he'll talk about this later. And our second guest is Professor Martin Broadley, who is currently a science director at Rosamsted Research in the UK. And he's also worked in different parts of the world on what we call agronomic biofortification to improve the nutritional status of humans. So without further ado, let's get started on this uh, topic. And the, the first question I want to raise is maybe I'll ask Ismail to answer this. What do we mean by hidden hunger? What is it? How big is this problem worldwide? What kind of forms uh, does it? What kind of nutrients do we need to particularly worry about and why? So give us a quick uh, summary of the global problem. Okay, uh, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, hidden hunger is a form of uh, malnutrition which is caused by lack of vitamins and micronutrient minerals such as uh, iron, zinc, selenium, iodine in the diet that we consume uh, regularly. Today, we have two types of hunger problems. And one of them is the hidden hunger. And hidden hunger uh, affects uh, around 3 billion people worldwide. And while the regular hidden hunger problem affects 800 million people. In case of uh, hidden hunger, people have access to sufficient foods, but the foods consumed are very poor in micronutrients. The diets are mainly based on stable food crops, such as wheat, rice, and maize pulses, which provide sufficient amount of energy and calorie, but very low amount of minerals, micronutrients. And I should say that the children and the women of reproductive age are highly sensitive to hidden hunger problem, which results in severe impairments in brain function, brain development, immune system, and physical development. I have to also say that, that uh, hidden hunger is not only a health problem, it also represents a significant economic burden in low-income countries. Published reports show that uh, hidden hunger problem is responsible for the loss of GDP up to 5%. I think these are uh, good numbers which show uh, high relevance and imports of hidden hunger problem globally. Yeah, and it's obviously a, not just a big problem, it's also a prog problem that uh, has bothered us for many decades already. And even in recent years, maybe we haven't made enough progress. But now, Martin, is it actually only a problem for people living in poorer countries? Or is it even a broader problem? I mean, some people may argue, well, just it'll go away anyway as the economic development progresses. People have higher incomes. They can afford eating better, buying more diverse food. So how, how do you look at it from that point of view? 
Yeah, thank you from me as well for the invitation. Yes, uh, as, as Ishmael said, it's, um, it's a particular problem in many, many parts of the world, and particularly for, for people with lower incomes. But it is a broader problem as well. So income is obviously strongly linked to um, the types of foods that people can buy. And typically those foods which have greater concentrations of micronutrients in them uh, tend to be those foods which are which are more expensive. So, for example, fresh fruit and vegetables um, and many animal source products are particularly rich in micronutrients. So for those individuals consuming staple crops um, for the majority of their energy calorie intake, it is uh, a greater problem typically than it is for those with access to, to more diverse diets. Although it is a broader problem, in different parts of the world, there are different micronutrient deficiencies. Even in countries where incomes are relatively high and diets are relatively diverse, and some of that is to do with dietary choices that people make, and some of it is to do with the types of soils upon which um, crops are being grown in those countries. So there are strong geographical and economic drivers of micronutrient deficiency. Well, all right. So it isn't something that is just going to fade away on its own. So it's something where we actually, in a targeted manner, have to do something about and. and Obviously, besides uh, other options that people have tried, like fortifying uh, foodstuffs or handing out supplementary pills for people to eat, there is also the option to improve the nutritional content of some of the staple food crops that we grow. So, Ismail, people sometimes talk about biofortification and sometimes they talk about genetic biofortification, sometimes they talk about ergonomic biofortification. What are these two things and how is it done and, and in broader general context, where is this most suitable for what crops and regions? First, I, I have to say that, that uh, agriculture must now um, today focus more and more on a new paradigm that will not only produce more food, but also deliver food having high nutritional value for example, with micronutrients. So the question is how we can improve the micronutrient status of the food crops. Indeed, there are several options to improve human needs uh, for, uh, for micronutrients. Uh, but in terms of the sustainability, plant genetic and agronomic biofortification are most uh, widely used and considered today. And plant genetic biofortification approach is implemented widely, especially by Harvest Plus program and CJ centers, which involves use of a conventional breeding approach together with the marker uh, assisted selection tools. And I have to say, after long-term successful efforts, uh, Harvest Plus program started to release new promising genotypes with high micronutrient concentration, and especially in Africa and Pakistan and, and India. In case of agronomic biofortification, fertilizer strategy is, is used. And I, have, I should say that fertilizer strategy is very quick and very effective approach. We apply the fertilizer, micronutrient-containing fertilizer to soil or foliar, and you see the effect tomorrow. You see the effect at the harvest. So I have to say that, that we need to pay huge attention to 
agronomic uh, biofortification because our agricultural soils, cultivated soils, are very low in concentration of phytoavailable micronutrients because of different chemical, biological, and physical factors. And finally, I have to also highlight that soil micronutrient depletion problem is a very common problem. I mean, every year, the crops remove high amount of micronutrients from the soils, but those micronutrients are never replenished. And therefore, micronutrient soil, uh, soil micronutrient depletion problem contributes also significantly to low amount of micronutrients in eligible parts of the food crops. So, Martin, do, do, do we have an example, a historical example, where agronomic biofortification was implemented at a larger scale, maybe for a whole country and for a longer time, or a, a success story? Um, yes, there's a really great example from Finland, which is in northern Europe. Um, so, in the early 1980s, the government of Finland um, took a decision that they would uh, mandate the addition of a micronutrient called selenium, um, to their fertilizers. And selenium is important for immune functioning in people. And so this decision was taken and in 1983, 1984, the fertilizers that started to be used in both the arable um, sector in Finland and also in the livestock forage sector started to, started to see a, an increase in the selenium concentrations in the crops that, that were being grown from that point. And that uh, that has continued to the present day. And the government of Finland have on a couple of occasions modified slightly the recommended amounts of selenium that have been added to fertilisers as they have gone along. And they've obviously monitored the, uh, the population and the environmental or potential environmental consequences of, of, of this decision over the years. And it has proven to be very successful in bringing the levels of selenium um, in the population um, up to a level um, which is considered optimal for health. So I think that's a really good, clear example of yeah. where agronomic fortification is. Totally agree. It really shows what is possible and how, how if if you wish, a decisive uh, action based on evidence uh, can make a big difference. So will we be able to do something like that soon in, for example, sub-Saharan Africa too? Can you tell us a bit more of the work that you and others uh, do there already on selenium, for example? Yes, in theory, um, such an approach would be possible. But there are several layers of, of complexity to, to, to think about first. In the, in the first instance, what we need is a good evidence base of the micronutrient status of, of, of the population. And for some countries, this is better than others. And as part of our project, our geonutrition project, we've been working with uh, ministries of health um, in both Malawi and Ethiopia. And we've been looking at their micronutrient surveillance programs and trying to figure out where the deficiencies of micronutrients are most prevalent. Um, and for the example of selenium, if we look at Malawi, for example, most of the country of Malawi is selenium deficient. So they don't have enough selenium getting into their diets. Um, and that's because of the soil types that the crops are growing on. If we look at Ethiopia, there is more spatial variation within Ethiopia. So some areas of Ethiopia, for example, large parts of the Amara region are deficient, but then other areas of the country are not deficient in selenium. And again, this is due to soil uh, factors. So we need this evidence base 
of what the status of the population is. And we've now started to, to generate that evidence with the governments of, of, of several countries. Once we've got that information, we then need to know what type of fertilizers would be appropriate in those systems. And we need to know something about the fertilizer sector in those systems and how fertilizers are blended and traded within those countries. And then we also need to know what happens um, when those fertilizers are added to the crops and how that increases the selenium concentration. And then finally, we also need to know about what the public acceptance of um, those approaches are. And so we need um, lots of community engagement and, and other activities with, with civic organisations and government to, to figure out um, whether this is something that is, is acceptable within a, within a policy uh, and wider community setting. And we recently did a, a large study in Malawi where we worked with academics and government partners in Malawi to establish what, a, what an optimal um, selenium fertilization strategy might look like. And that was, was very successful. Um, and so we're now at the stage of, of, of discussing with, um, with various stakeholders in Malawi about what the next steps should be and, and how this might move forward in a Malawi policy. Uh, setting. Oh, very nice. Uh, so, Ismail, you've worked a lot with uh, nutrients like zinc, for example, in wheat, Turkey or other places, also with industry partners. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences from that? What solutions did you pursue there? How did this work? Yeah, uh, Akim, uh, as you know, uh, we have a long-term global fertilizer project, so harvesting project, which is uh, mainly supported by Harvest Plus program and fertilizer uh, uh, industry. Our long-term trials under this harvesting project in the past 12 years and in about 15 countries showed feasibility of fertilizer strategy in improving micronutrient status of the food crops and also impacting positively human health. And our results nicely showed that foliar spray of micronutrients late in the growing season resulted in larger increases in grain concentration of the targeted micronutrients compared to the soil application. I have to say soil application was effective in increasing uh, grain micronutrient concentration, but foliar application, I have to say, foliar application are very uh, much, much more uh, effective in, in improving the grain micronutrient concentration. And the project results also showed the existence of a closer synergism between plant breeding and fertilizer strategy. You know, Harvest Plus uh, program already started to release uh, highly uh, promising uh, biofortified genotypes. And we have shown that these uh, genotypes respond very positively to fertilizer strategy, more than the local varieties. So I think this synergism between breeding and fertilizer strategy should be used more extensively in the, in the future. And nitrogen. It is, it is an important uh, issue I have to highlight today. Nitrogen has been found to be a key player in enrichment of the food crop with zinc and iron. Increasing nitrogen nutritional status of the food crops very positively affects root uptake, root to shoot transport, and the grain deposition of zinc and iron. And uh, sometimes I, I, I believe that the very low use of nitrogen and also sulfur fertilizer, I should say sulfur also have same effects like nitrogen on absorption and transportation of zinc and iron. So what I am trying to say, very low use of nitrogen and sulfur fertilizer might be one 
critical reason for the widespread occurrence of hidden hunger problem in Africa. Because as you know, use of such fertilizer is very, very low in, in Africa. And this was the one reason why uh, hidden hunger problems so commonly occur in, in Africa, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. So Martin, you've done work on zinc too in Pakistan, for example. What has been your experience there? Um, yes, I, I would just like to, to, to follow on from, from what Ishmael said there. So when we've, when we've looked at um, some systems in, um, in southern Africa, we can see that the, the, the greatest effect would be through application of, of nitrogen fertilizer because the usage is, is very low. When we look in Pakistan, based on, on, on various um, subsidy factors within the fertilizer sector within the wheat system there is um, a, a reasonable amount of, of, of nitrogen usage and actually the biggest effect would be from adding zinc to those uh, fertilizers in terms of uh, both improving yield and and if you put them in the soil as, as Ishmael said you do get a, a you know a marginal slight increase in the uh, zinc concentration of of the wheat grain as well it's not as effective as foliar but it is an effective way of, of getting yield responses and quality responses from those systems and and, and in Pakistan we've been working um, to look at, at the challenge that that, um, that Ishmael uh, just mentioned there which is when you have these new varieties of high high zinc accumulating crops that have been released by the harvest plus program and looking at how those behave and perform in the field with different fertilizer strategies compared to varieties that are currently being um, grown or, or more widely grown by the farmers at the moment. And we do see um, improvements through these new varieties, and we also see improvements when particular um, farming strategies are adopted in terms of fertilizers or, or, or other agronomic factors. Yeah, that's all fantastic. It seems to me that uh, in the last 10, 15 years, we have accumulated a vast amount of knowledge Fantastic research has been done, clear evidence of the benefits of this have been shown, even randomized controlled trials with humans that show how the enriched uh, grains directly improve the health status. And a lot of very good evidence uh, has been collected already. And so the question is now, how can we take this further? And it seems to me this could also be a huge opportunity for the fertilizer industry to make a much more direct contribution to eradicating hidden hunger than what it currently already does, particularly if we can find ways to enrich fertilizer products with the right kind of nutrients for specific targets. So the question then, of course, becomes how, do, how does one do this in a large-scale setting? Uh, how does one scale up these types of innovations to whole countries? And perhaps most importantly, who who should pay for it? Because there's a, a cost that may not be huge. You know, you probably would not want to ask the farmer growing those crops to pay that extra price. You know, so is there is there a business model for the industry, or would governments have to pay for that, or somebody else? So just to wrap up this podcast for both of you, what is your view on that, and what is your your dream, if you wish? Where could we be five or ten years from now? Yeah, uh, okay, first, uh, I should say, uh, and as you know, the, the cultivated soils are very low in amount of phytoavailable micronutrients. And as I showed uh, today, fertilizer strategy 
provides highly effective and quick solution to hidden hunger problem in human population by providing uh, targeted micronutrients quickly, effectively to the stable food crops via soil application or foliar application of the micronutrient containing fertilizer. It is, it is now the time to adopt and integrate this fertilizer approach into ongoing regional and national human nutritional prog- programs and policies to, to address the problems of hidden hunger. And the agricultural and food policies implemented so far in the past 40 to 50 years have simply not been successful in addressing the hidden hunger problems despite use of huge efforts and funds. So none of the agricultural food policies and intervention applied so far have used or have included fertilizer-based solution to address the hidden hunger problem. Therefore, new partnership now is required, especially with the fertilizer institutions and industry, to show fundamental role of fertilizer strategy in addressing hidden hunger-related health problems as well as economic problems. Remember, hidden hunger is not only a health problem, but it's also a huge economic problem and uh, leading to important uh, uh, loss in gross domestic product. What's your view on that, Martin? So, so thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Ishmael has covered um, a lot of the points um, very clearly there. There is clearly a very context-specific issue here, both in terms of soils uh, and soil types and cropping systems, but also in terms of, of I guess, the political economies of different countries um, and, and how the fertiliser sector operate within those countries. So I think, uh, as I said previously, the example with, with, with Pakistan is interesting. We did some preliminary economic analysis of, of what uh, a future system might look like. And, and we found good evidence that, that there was potentially a role for both the, the private sector um, to take on some of the, some of the costs of, of, of increased use of zinc, for example, where there was a, a yield benefit to the crops. But also there was a, a clear public health benefit that would be a cost that, that perhaps could be borne by, um, by government and perhaps some realignment of, of, of some of the um, subsidy programmes in that direction might be, might be one mechanism. But again, that has to be in the context of, of, of the political economy of that country. Um, for other countries where we, we've, we've looked at, um, so for example, we've done quite a bit of work with colleagues in, in Zimbabwe it seems that a different business model might be more appropriate um, simply because of, of, of the, uh, the initial yield gap that's being driven by the, the lack of, of, of nitrogen inputs into the system. Um, and so it, it very much depends on, on, on where we are. I think with, with selenium as opposed to zinc, there is no yield benefit to the crop. Um, so I think selenium is very much more in the area of, of other nutritional intervention type programs for example, we've been putting iodine in, in table salt um, for, for many years now, and that's been a successful uh, way of eliminating um, iodine deficiency in many parts of the world, or at least reducing iodine deficiency. And, and so because selenium doesn't have a, a crop yield benefit, it would seem that, um, that that's something that the public sector and government should really be um, looking at in terms of picking up the, um, the, the potential costs for that and and obviously then gaining the the public health benefits that will arise from it. 
the, this hidden hunger problem has huge impacts on human health and also on economy. And therefore, the decision makers or governments should also consider the incentive policy. I mean, which farms are able to produce grains with extra zinc, with extra micronutrients, they should get some incentive. And this is another important uh, approach to be considered. And as you know, today, EU policies, EU programs started to give incentive for the farms who built up uh, organic carbon in the soil. And the similar uh, uh, incentive programs could be also implemented in the, in the nutrition-sensitive agriculture by, by uh, paying attention to the uh, harvest, to the uh, grains which contain extra zinc, extra micronutrients. These are very, very good points. Uh, I think we need to really look at a more nutrition-sensitive form of agriculture and also reward farmers uh, not just for producing crops but also for producing crops with high nutritional value. You know, I think this is uh, part of a new paradigm for plant nutrition too, but it needs to also become really, as you've pointed out, part of a new policy paradigm as, as such. Uh, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us today. I think this has been very convincing evidence that uh, we have an opportunity uh, at our hands. In IFA last year, uh, we defined uh, six ambitions uh, for the fertilizer industry for the next 20 years. And one of them reads that the industry uh, should make more contributions to eliminating malnutrition caused by micronutrient deficiencies. For example, by designing more nutrition-focused product solutions and setting up the suitable business models that can help implementing them. So I hope that a few years from now we can come back and uh, see that some of these things have happened. We are working currently on some project ideas, uh, so any of our members who would like to learn more about the opportunities that exist in this space or even want to participate in any of these pro uh, projects, please contact us at IFA and we will make things happen. Thank you very much again, and stay tuned and join us next time.